Let me look it up quick. If you're willing to cut this out. Welcome to Fun Effects. I'm Grace. And I'm Mads. And we're here to talk about animals and fun facts about them and the weird, interesting relationship that people have with animals. So today I wanted to talk about rotifers. Rotifers? Do you know what a rotifer is? I sure don't. So, rotifers, I think most people probably haven't heard of them. They are animals. They're very tiny, so they're, some are microscopic, some are near microscopic. They might have maybe a thousand cells. A thousand cells sounds like it should mean something to me comparatively, but it kind of doesn't. No, it's fine. I just don't want you to think of it like a little amoeba. It's way bigger than an amoeba. But it's smaller than a what, for example? It's definitely smaller. It could fit on the head of a pin, definitely. Okay. It's way smaller than that. If you saw it, if it was on your computer screen, I guess you'd be able to see it. You'd see like this little smudge and you're like, oh, why is my computer screen dirty? I mean, if it's smaller than the head of a pin, though, like what's a pixel versus a pin? I don't know. But I mean, I mean, the important thing is. It is smaller than something I might really notice just with my eyes, but it is not a single-celled organism. That's what seems to be the distinction. Yes. So these rotifers, they live in puddles. They live in brackish water. They live in the soil that has a little bit of water in it. If you, a lot of them, they come in different shapes, but if you imagine one of those wall vases that doesn't have a square bottom. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you say a wall vase? Yeah, so you can hang it on the wall and then the bottom comes to a point instead of something you can set on a table. Yeah, so imagine that shape, except where the flowers are, they have these big, they're called coronas and they look like big wheels. And so I think the Latin for what, rotifer means is wheel animal Hmm. so they're named after these coronas and then that's where their mouth is and so these coronas in a lot of species are just spinning 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 and then they're drawing particles in and that's how these guys eat so you can kind of imagine what they look like now Mm -hmm. but the cool thing about them is how they have sex or how they not how they have sex that's not very interesting oh my god we're talking about sex again Okay, how they reproduce is so cool, though. It No, it really, really is. So in some of them, the monogogant, they're females most of the time. So these females, do you know what parthenogenesis is? What? It just means, so these females reproduce by laying eggs that are clones of themselves. I'm sorry, that's a thing? Yes. Yeah, it's a thing. It's not special to these animals, but that's these animals do that. So when you say they lay eggs that are a clone of themselves, does that necessarily mean that it's like asexual reproduction? Yes, they okay. reproduce asexually. 
there's a lot of different modes of asex reproduction. And in this way, they just lay these eggs, and they're not fertilized, because nobody's fertilized them. The females haven't fertilized them. They're just making clones of themselves and laying eggs. And then they hatch into more females. So you're like, why doesn't everything do it this way? That's awesome. Well, when there's a problem in the environment, like things start drying out, then you might need some new genes. You don't want just a bunch of clones that won't work out. Mm. You need a little diversity in your gene pool. So what happens then is females, usually they have two sets of genes, right? Like, so humans have a gene set from their father and their mother. But these guys, they just, the females pass along everything. So they have two sets. But when it's really harsh environment, they'll only lay an egg that has half their genome or half their genetic material. And then those will turn into males. Wait, what? They'll lay eggs that only have one set of the genes. Like female genes? Well, they don't really have male and female sets. They just have two sets of genes. They'll lay an egg that only has one set, and that'll hatch into a male. Got it. Then the male has sex with the female, and then those females, they turn into these special eggs that sink to the bottom of whatever pool. And usually the biggest threat to these guys is drying out because they live in puddles. So these eggs will just sit around and wait until the drying out puddle becomes a good, nice puddle again. And then they'll hatch and clone themselves. Wow. Yeah. So that's one kind of rotifer. Do you want to hear about an even crazier kind of rotifer? Obviously. Okay, so there are rotifers where there are no males, which is really, really strange for animals. Because, like, as soon as you get hit with a new parasite or a new virus or a puddle that's drying out, you'd probably want to have sex. You'd want to have sex and, like, hopefully get a new, better combination than before, right? Okay. So that's why asex like asexually producing animals that just have asexual reproduction, they usually die out. But these guys have been around for like 80 million years just having females reproducing. Whoa. So they survive. They also desiccate, like the ones I talked about before. These are deloids, B-D-E-L-L-O-I-D-S, deloids. And so they can dry out. And they can dry out and survive for up to nine years if conditions are bad. Whoa. Yeah. So scientists were like, how can this be happen? Because from what we've seen, like, you can't just keep asexually reproducing and survive. But what they found is that these guys are made up of 10% foreign DNA. They just have somehow, they've taken up DNA from algae and bacteria and other things in their environment and have incorporated it into themselves. I have to say, at first when you said that, I thought you meant like foreign DNA as in like not earth-based and I got very spooked. No. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Just other DNA in the puddles they're living in. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. I mean, we all have a little bit of other animal DNA in us. Really? All of us? I know we have viruses in us that we've incorporated into our DNA. Mm. 
But having that much, having that much is a lot, especially when they looked at enzymes, which like, I think most people think of enzymes in their stomach, like digesting things, but enzymes do a lot of stuff for you. They break down toxins and things like that. 40% of their enzyme activity is driven by foreign DNA. So the DNA has the code for making these proteins that form enzymes, which is a lot. 40% of what's going on in your body is from foreign DNA. That's a lot. So these guys, yeah, they don't need to mix up their DNA by having sex. They just get it from their environment. And we have no idea how they do this. That's crazy. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of, okay, well, for a second I was thinking of tardigrades. You know how they can survive for a really long time? Mm -hmm. There's nothing. Mm -hmm. Which we should totally talk about at some point. They're pretty awesome. I don't know how they reproduce, though. I mean, the males might not be in every generation, but usually when things get tough, males are created. Different generations, like one generation will be all females, and the next generation will have males and females. Interesting. That's, I mean, that's what some of these rotifers are doing. It's just so wacky. I love it. Is there anything else you wanted to say about rotifers? Mm -hmm. No, but you... Anyone who's out there listening to this, you think they're really awesome, you should go look up videos of them sucking in particles. They're kind of cute. Or, even better, go look go look in your the puddles outside your house and maybe you'll see some if you have a nice microscope. Wow. Are they all over the world? Are they in a particular geographic region? or? No, I think they're everywhere. That's nice. If you need a friend, you can find a rotifer. Yeah. I don't know how good of a friend they'll be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how if they make for good pets. I kind of doubt it, but maybe they'll be less annoying than my cat friend here. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure your landlord won't complain about you having them in your house. Okay, well, what do you got? What I have is a very well-known, popular, famous story amongst law students. So most law students and lawyers know about this story, at least two went to law school in the past 2008, I would say. It is about a copyright dispute over a photo of a monkey that may or may not have been a selfie. What? In the late 2000s, there was this British nature photographer, David Slater, he would go to Indonesia. He would take photographs of the critically endangered celibus, celibus or celebs, celebs, celibus, sorry, crested macaques. After a couple years, he licensed several images to the media agencies that released them, and it came out in the Daily Mail, the Telegraph, the Guardian. These are all British publications, and they basically used quotes from Slater saying things like. Oh, this monkey must have taken hundreds of pictures by the time I got my camera back. But later, Slater gave additional information on his personal website and then other media accounts saying that he and a guide were following these monkeys for a few days and gaining their trust. And he had been trying to get photographs of these monkeys and found out that they were very fascinated with the camera and gear and kept playing with it. But they also kept trying to run off with the camera. Right. And he really wanted to get 
like a portrait of the monkey's faces. So he set the camera up on a tripod with a wide angle lens. And while he was holding onto the tripod, the monkey spent about 30 minutes looking into the lens and playing with the camera gear and triggered the remote for like take to take a photo multiple times. And they took a lot of photographs. Okay. So Slater basically said later that these news outlets were misreporting how he obtained the selfie of this monkey, but he went along with it because it was basically, it was fun and it was some good publicity for the conservation cause. Right. But what happened is that Wikimedia Commons, a site that only accepts media available under a free content license, so like copyright free basically, so things that are in the public domain and ineligible for copyright they uploaded the selfie, quote-unquote, photographs that were posted in the Daily Mail of the monkey. And the uploader asserted that the photographs were in the public domain because, I mean, the idea was that the photo was taken by a non-human animal, and so there was no human author in whom copyright could be had. Oh my gosh. Wait, what website was this? The Wikimedia Commons. Okay. Sounds like someone wanted to use these photos... And then who knows who? Well, I'm sh- I think they have some record. And they're like, well, this person didn't actually take these photos, so we can just use it on this website. I have nothing against Wikipedia. Like, it's a great website, but I think individual users sound kind of shady. So what happened? Did the guy sue? Or to ask them to be taken down or something? Yes. So he discovered that the photos were on Wikimedia Commons. He asked them to remove them. And they said, basically, again, copyright cannot vest in non-human authors. And when that's the case, a work will fall into the public domain. Oh, my God. They went to court. This was ongoing. But then also, interestingly, PETA filed a lawsuit against... Slater, the photographer in California, and basically requested that the monkey be assigned the copyright. Uh. (laughs) They were trying to set precedent that, like, animals can have copyright over works, and then they wanted themselves, PETA, to be appointed to administer the proceeds from the photos for the benefit of Mm. Mm -hmm. similar macaques on the reserve. In a hearing of this case, the U.S. District Judge said that copyright law does not extend its protection to animals and the case is dismissed. PETA filed an appeal to the Ninth Circuit. Then it was really interesting because PETA basically said they expected to arrive in an out-of-court settlement in the near future and asked the court not to issue a ruling, basically because PETA realized that this could set a really bad precedent. Yeah, how did they expect to win this? Well, I mean, I have some problems with PETA, because I think a lot of things they do are publicity stunts. But, okay, even if I did agree with PETA on this, they can't expect to win this, because we're a country... Well, I mean, humans take milk and honey and meat from animals. Like, I... I mean, we take animal pro- eggs. We're not going to, like, give a chicken a copyright for its egg that it produced. It is interesting because I know, like, there's an- elephants that create paintings. And I think 
you look at and there's gorillas that create art I think it'd be hard to argue that it's not art but for those monkeys I don't think knew what they were doing at all they're not creating art the court basically expressed their concern with PETA's motivations and kind of accused PETA of promoting their own interests rather than protecting the monkey or monkeys. <laughs> so it wasn't really about the monkeys. No, it wasn't. That poor guy, that poor photographer. And it's hard enough making money as a wildlife photographer and then... I have a tidbit about how that went for him and it's not good. <laughs> Oh. In the past few years, Slater, the photographer, has told BBC News that he's suffered, like, real financial loss as a result of the pictures being available to the public on the public domain. In the first year after it was taken, he made about 2,000 pounds off the photo, but after it went on Wikipedia, all the interest in buying it went away, and he estimates that he's lost about... 10,000 pounds or more in income and he basically said like it's killing his business he wanted to sue wikipedia for copyright infringement but honestly by july 2017 it was reported that this photographer was broke and unable to pay his attorney and so while he had originally made money off the images enough to recoup his travel costs to Indonesia where he took the photos. Basically, once those photos became part of the public domain, he was not making any money. He actually couldn't travel to a court hearing last summer in the U.S. for lack of funds and was quoted as considering alternative careers as a dog walker or a tennis coach. Oh, that's so sad. I know. And he's, he's quoted as saying, this would be a new venture for me. It would pay peanuts, but at least it would be more than photography. I am just not motivated to go out and take photos anymore. I've had outlays of several thousand pounds for lawyers. It's losing me income and getting me so depressed. When I think about the whole situation, I don't really think it's worth it. Everything I did to try and highlight the plight of the monkeys has backfired on my private life. I've had my life ruined. Oh my gosh. This guy was just trying to drum up interest for these... Well, he just wanted to take pictures of monkeys and get people excited about endangered animals. And now he can't do that. And he says that he's really happy that the photo has brought a lot of attention to these monkeys. But right, obviously it's ruined his personal life. It seems like the monkey's doing better because of it, but he's not at all. We'll see. There is new news as of May this year that Condé Nast Entertainment acquired the rights from him to make a documentary style film about the whole thing so okay sounds like it'll be a sad documentary not one of those uplifting ones yeah <laughs> i mean it'll be very it'll just be interesting it's just like a very bizarre thing legally like we don't like being a lawyer is not usually this interesting in terms of the stories that you come across when it comes to copyright well, just like in general you don't really like talk about like do monkeys have the ability to copyright their work whatever that is uh that's not the status quo so that was, sounds like a very interesting class talking about monkeys and copyright law well i'm in a class called art law and she brought it up but i've heard it many times and like i said most law students know about it because honestly going to law school is very uh what's the word soul crushing and so (laughs) 
we look for any element of humor and entertainment to sustain us. Oh, gosh. Well, you want to close us off, then? All of you big fans that I know you are, if you want to see some visuals for this episode, you can find us on Instagram at Podcast. Or if you don't have Instagram, you can go to our blog at faunafactspodcast.blogspot.com. And if you have any animal facts, articles, sweet nothings to say to us, our email is faunafactspodcast at gmail.com. Please, if you are uh, listening to this via iTunes, rate, subscribe, you know, give us what we're worth. That's what I got. All right. Bye. Bye.